It's time to go into auto reverse with Tony and Matt, where we look at bands that were underappreciated, misunderstood, forgotten, and to some unknown. This week we're going auto reverse on the Edgar Broughton Band. The Edgar Broughton Band. Uh, this episode, uh, we're going to introduce a guest host for Auto Reverse. Uh, a good, 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 old, old friend of mine, Eric Roper, esteemed artist, illustrator, music nerd, ex- expert, whatever you want to call him. And I just want to introduce him. Eric, welcome to the show. Yeah, welcome, man. Thanks a lot, guys. Good to be here. Thanks for asking me to join you on this esteemed discussion <laughs> of uh, worldly events. Just a gathering uh, of esteemed motherfuckers, aren't we? But so, I like so esteemed. I'd like to give some background. I I met Eric in the East Village. I want to say almost twenty-five years ago. I think it's about 25 years ago, uh, while he was working at a French bistro as a waiter or something. What, what were you actually doing at the restaurant? Oh, a waiter? Please. I had a much more important job. I was the guy who <laughs> took the dishes away after oh, he eating. A runner. A runner. You were a no, runner. No, no. Not a runner. Bus they made bus much boy. better. Yeah, a bus boy. Bus boy. Okay, a bus boy. Runners, I was in envy of the runners. <laughs> I, I made, you know, some paltry amount of earnings just to uh, mostly stand around. But, you know, I also got to take people's plates away, put pepper on their food if they needed it. Oh, or, um, you know, occasionally take a bottle of wine home if they didn't finish it. Nice. Well, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the, bad. The reason I, that we met there, well, I was eating there with some pretty annoying people. Uh, and... I saw Eric, who I didn't know, and he was wearing an I Hate God t-shirt, and I really liked I Hate God, and I, you know, there weren't too many other people that liked I Hate God, so I decided to, at the end of our meal, to get up and talk to Eric, and I was like, wow, you know, you like I Hate God, and that's a cool shirt, blah, 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 and then, for some reason, we exchanged phone numbers, and... One thing led to another, and I realized uh, Eric told me that he was, you know, that, um, you know, that you were, you know, you were an artist and stuff. And I, you showed me some of your flyers and some of your artwork, and I wound up working with Eric. He wound up doing covers for me when I was doing TP, and but at the same time, while we were doing stuff together, Eric was doing uh, covers for me. We also became friends, and we shared a lot of music knowledge and love of of certain bands agar broughton band was one of the ones that it was really eric it was you that kind of introduced me to the band i didn't i i didn't know much about them and i think i went over your house one day and i think you may have played self-titled the self-titled record Uh, that's that's my favorite Uh and that's my favorite and it's still still my favorite of theirs um so so this is where it all sort of kind of connects up. You know, you, you, you respect somebody's work, you become friends, and then you share all this, like, music information. Well, wait a and, minute. You respect his yeah. work as a busboy? 
<laughs> yes, I did. I did. I did. I did. <laughs> well, that's all he had seen at that point. <laughs> but he was mighty impressed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah, but uh, it was more it was more Eric's actual artwork right. and and art that he did that I became a huge fan of and I got I was lucky enough to have him do stuff, you know, to have him do stuff for me. So, uh, um, it was great and but it but more more important to me is the sort of discussions about music and I mean shit, we just created this show to to sort of dive back into it. So, um, can you tell us like how you were um, well here, let me put this better in a better. Um, wh why sh are we talking about Edgar Broughton Band? Like, why? What? Wh what is it about them that gets them on the show? Well, um, let me think here. Going back to when I first learned about them was sometime in the late '90s, mid to late '90s, I guess. Uh, my friend Spencer, who had a really great record collection, and always had new bands to turn me on to at that point. He played them for me one time, and then I was really impressed by it because the band sounded like, you know, a, a heavy rock band, um, blues-based, really, I mean, very, very psychedelic, and their, you know, their first couple albums were more on the kind of wild electric psychedelic side but very blues based and heavy and raw so i was really taken with it and um went out and tried to find the record which at that time ebay was the place to get these sorts of things mm -hmm. there's no discogs or anything or mm -hmm. there were record fairs that was another option but i managed to find uh i guess it was a self-titled record that was probably mm -hmm. the first one that i got to mm -hmm. also my favorite i think mm -hmm. still um, but, uh, yeah, I got really into them and started ex exploring their discography and trying to find out what I could about them. And I just thought that they were really, um, th they were heavy, but they had, you know, good songs and they were, they had a very kind of wild element to them too. The vocal delivery was very raw, almost had kind of a Captain Beefheart element to it. This Total totally. Totally. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you could hear some of that in there. There's also like some elements of bands like the Fugs and mm -hmm. um, Howlin' Wolf. You know, right. there's like this mm -hmm. kind of like electric blues thing going on that they were clearly influenced by. So, yeah, I mean, at that time it was pretty hard to find out any information about them. The internet was, you know, still growing and far from what it is today so there wasn't mm -hmm. anything online much to speak of at that point um i was you know i read about them in some magazines there had been some reissues coming out on cd and i would usually get those when i could um so that's kind of how it came to me was uh through my friend spencer and then i just got into it on my own i didn't know many other people who liked it either but that was an exciting time in the in the 90s the late 90s when there was a lot of stuff from the 60s and 70s that had not yet re-emerged or were emerging for the first time from almost complete obscurity from that era you know stuff was just starting to get uh brought up from the soil so to speak because you know there was it had been a while it had been 20 25 years at that point 
and there was a new wave of it about to happen, you know, in terms of people being interested in that stuff. So it was exciting. It was almost like having new bands come around that you, even though they were, you know, a couple decades old and uh, yeah. they were one of many like that. Yeah, they, and that we've talked a lot about that sort of rediscovery. Matt and I have talked a lot about it, that that sort of di not even rediscovery discovery uh, in the '90s of a lot of these like more uh, like obs more uh, obscure like bands, not the typical like Sabbath, Grand Funk, like more like the the cap you know the the Captain Beyonds or the Cactuses or or Blood Rock, or, like Blood Rock, or blood, blood Rock. <laughs> yeah, like that's. I, yeah. Remember, I remember that. I think it was the early late nineties or early two thousands that I think it was the day after Sabbath. There was this site that this guy would put on all these old obscure sixties and seventies stuff. And these were, I mean, it was, it was like, well, why haven't I heard of this? Why haven't I heard of this? And why haven't yeah. I heard of this? And it's, it was like, like you said, Eric, it was like a glorious thing because you're just like finding all these treasures. It mm -hmm. was a thing that you just, you thought, well, I thought, you know, I heard Cream. That's probably the best. That was that. that it's like, no, nah, there's bands that were so much far better. And even, yeah. and like the Groundhog, even fucking, even like the Groundhogs, who are yeah. kind of similar to them in that sense of, you know, a blues band that kind of went, and it kind of blossomed from just being a straight blues band into something more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, for every huge band like Cream or Black Sabbath, there's, you know, 50 other bands that could have opened up for them or been in the same room with them that you've never heard of. Mm -hmm. And some of them are almost as good as that if not some maybe they're better depending on what you think and then some are not but and sometimes you can see reasons why they didn't crack into the radio realm you know there's a lot of mediocrity there of course too but but there's a lot of gems that that could have been on the radio and could have been big but just for whatever reason we're not yeah you know yeah 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 i was gonna i was gonna say that it's uh i think uh a lot of those bands suffered from poor promotions uh, from be, you know from being on be like kind of shitty labels or in some cases like for example like uh, 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 Edgar Broughton band was on Harvest I think and Harvest uh, had other bands that were bigger and they probably pushed the bigger bands over the Edgar Broughton bands and that, that was always a thing it's like uh, if you think about it, that like post Beatles uh, in the '60s and the '70s, not so much in the '80s, it was like kind of like maybe like when Nirvana hit. It's like there was so such a glut of stuff post Beatles right. that um, like they, the record companies were just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what was <laughs> right. sticking. And yeah. and I and I think Edgar brought a lot of the bands that we discuss on the show, especially a band like Edgar Brought Band. Um, uh, they, they were probably victims of that.
but I will point out something that Eric, that Eric, that you said earlier, the wild side of Edgar Brockman. I think that's so crucial because when I, when you can hear it in their music that they sound like sort of unhinged a bit. It's something about Edgar's vocal delivery, the kind of rough playing, um, yeah. and the subject matter and stuff in their lyrics. But the wild side of theirs, it's probably worked against them too, because I, from just what I was, from what I was reading, there were like riots and fights and shit at all their shows, and and um, and they were banned from a lot of places. And then and then if you and then they had like some kind of connection to the Pretty Things, who were another fucking rough and tumble band, right. who who yeah. we've done, we we actually covered them earlier in uh, I don't know like I don't know how many episodes ago we did the Pretty Things, and so. I think that's an important thing to uh, to sort of highlight the this wild, unruly, and what I might say like almost like proto punk style that they yeah. kind of established, like kind of like the English MC5 in a way. Yeah, and, e exactly. And, yeah, right. and it's like, and they shared that with the same sort of spirit with like the Deviants and and bands like and bands like that and uh, and uh, Pink Fairies and Hawkwind. Yeah. Another big, yeah, another yeah. big favorite of yours, Eric. And yeah. so it's like, it was this kind of like communal, like hatred and sort of counter counteraction to all the the sort of flower power and uh, '60s like bullshit. Like they were like kind of against all that, and it, it show and it. It shows in their appearance and their music and what they were talking about. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, there, there's a cynicism about yes. a lot of these uh, English bands yeah. that were in that scene. You know, they were, they had some of the same ideals and goals of you know living in a world that was better and you know people having freedom and power over the government instead of the other way around. But you know the english people are kind of rough and yeah they they it came through in their music and yeah that they were part of that scene they were part of the the greater uh notting hill mm -hmm. uh, scene of hawkwind and the pretty things and pink fairies and you know motorhead was basically uh the pink fairies mixed with people you know t-rex offshoots yeah. and which became motorhead mm -hmm. so they come out of that, and Victor Unit was the guitarist mm -hmm. in Edgar Broughton Band, the second guitarist who was also in the Pretty Things. Yeah, and he was he was on the uh, not the first two. Parachute. But, he was on Parachute, I believe, right? Oh yeah, he was on Parachute with the mm -hmm. Pretty Things, and he was on with the Broughton Band. He was with um, the self-titled, and then mm -hmm. Inside Out and Ura. Those mm -hmm. three, which are right. the best, in my opinion, really. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree with right. you. I agree with yeah. you on that. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the first two without him, Wasa Wasa, and uh, what is it? Oh, Sing Brother Sing. Those two are are far more into the like the wild wild camp that you were talking about, Tony. Where it's really kind of like unhinged acid freakout stuff, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where he's really just kind of you know wailing vocally and on his guitar. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's really it's kind of acid damaged it's <laughs> you know and they were you're like and they oh, were, these guys might they be were, insane they were a power trio for those first two records correct right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. but the the 
the rhythm playing in that band was just really so solid. Steve Broughton was his brother. Was you Broughton's can tell brother. they're brothers, man. They're locked in. Even with all the wildness, <laughs> like, they're locked in. Yeah, yeah, totally locked in. And really, you know, like hitting the right place, too, with with those beats. You know, it's like the the kind of drumming I like where it's like it's really there and it's hard and it's not overly flourished, but it's just solid, you know, like Charlie Watts. Like, cool. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. and and the bass playing was really great too, and it was they were great as a as a power trio, um, but I think they kind of you know for the self titled one starting in I guess that was nineteen seventy I believe or seventy one seventy one okay yeah the, you could tell that they they got a little bit more production they were getting it together a bit more to possibly break into the radio market they have. Um, I think they even have a little bit of string section on that album. It's much, it's more full and kind of uh, layered and very well produced. Um, really good songs. It's not as much of the screaming madman stuff from the first two, but mm -hmm. that's still there. The lyrics are very um, kind of cryptic and weird mm -hmm. and political. They were a political mm -hmm. band, you know, they were, they were socialists and they played a lot of socialist causes mm -hmm. and they would play from the back of a truck bed, for example. And that's where a lot of these riots and things would happen. So they'd play in public and, you know, people would show up anarchists and, and early punks and whatever other kind of, you know, strange uh, subterranean scenesters you would find. Mm -hmm. at that time and you know some strange shit would happen because you know it was it was wild <laughs> people were on yeah. drugs i you know? i really i respect that element of them that that sort of anarchist element of it and it really it, it sort of predates punk rock uh, uh what would happen you know four or five years later um and it's also kind of like i when i when i think of Ben, I also think of that early UFO club where Pink right. Floyd and stuff played that uh, I forget the guy's name. The, I think it was an American who promoted that those nights there at the Roadhouse. Uh, I think it was at the Roadhouse, if I'm correct. Uh, and I think of all the bands that played that. It's like they were all so like ahead of their time and, and interesting and progressive and doing and every band was different and and it's it's so counter to all the bullshit hippie stuff and uh and even some of the bigger bands like like we were said like cream and sabbath and even zeppelin and stuff where it was it, they were they were kind of like Edgar Broughton band was like an underground band even though they were on a major label and even though they probably did some big support gigs uh, supporting like bigger bands but their vi their their vibe is it's all about the regular people you right know I mean? yeah like that's their vibe and it's and like i said i'll bring it up again it's like the mc5 like it's political it's about the people it's about taking power away from the government and from and from the corporations and well you know um it, it, these are rarities now yeah well, you know the thing i would say is and what and i you know this is the only thing i would I, from listening to him, and I don't know the band. I didn't know the band as well as you two, uh, but I've been listening and trying to read up on them. The thing that I take away from this, unlike the MC5, they, they seem to kind of shift their styles, and they don't really put a stake in the ground of who they really are. 
And I don't know if that is kind of the issue, like whether it be they're on Harvest and other bands are getting more attention on like, well, we got to be a little, do a little bit more of that. Or they, you know, we have to do less of the Captain Beefheart stuff, which I think like later they kind of used it kind of almost like for bad examples, like Humpty, like Humpty from uh, Digital Underground, kind of like a second voice that would, would pop in every so often. Uh, but like that, that, yeah, that all, the all, alter, the alter yeah, ego, the alter sorry. ego, like yeah, that, yeah. like that voice is a, like that voice is an alter ego. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I just always think but about, I kind of, I kind of like that. That's like creating a, a, a mythology within this thing. Cause that, that's the thing about music. Music has this potential to, even though it's such a, it's a small thing. It's made in a room with electric instruments. It's sort of small. <laughs> But you can create this, especially back then, you can create this huge myth right. and creating alter egos and combining styles. It like people, it gets people thinking, you know, and, right. and it, it gets people like maybe in their own uh, minds, they they create an image for the band, like what of what the band True. is or should be. And and I, and I love when when bands do that, like. Fuck, man! Digital Underground are one of the best. <laughs> I, well, not that, not that yeah. Digital Underground had anything to do with Edgar Frost stylistically. No. No. I understand. I understand your point, Matt. Yeah, I it's really just do. like like I I would say for myself, like they move around a lot, album to album with their styles, and mm -hmm. that's a cool thing when you're. I can speak for myself. Like I didn't get into that as much until I was over thirty. Like kind of keeping mm -hmm. me guessing what the next song is going to be like. I think you know trying to learn about a band and figure out who they are. Like it's easy for me. It's easier in retrospect to look back at their records and saying, "Oh wow, they go all over the place." That's kind of a nice, cool thing. I like this album best because it, it does it the it does that the best. But. It just seems like that. I would think that was probably one of the impediments that they were probably finding is that you know who is this band? You know they start as a blues band and they go to kind of more psychedelic, then they go to a little heavier stuff, then they go to kind of more folksy, and then they have an album where they kind of throw you know they do the kitchen sink, and they throw everything in there, which is kind of mm -hmm. kind of like what I think about bandages. It's like they're like, well, let's. Uh, you know, let's throw every every kind of style into this one that we can get yeah. done. I think mm -hmm. at that point, that was what seventy five or so. I think. Yeah, that was later. Yeah. yeah. At that point, you know, they they were they had probably realized that you know the peak success had eluded them yeah. in terms of what they were trying to go for, perhaps. But and also it was a weird time musically for rock. You know, like people were kind of burning out and not really sure what they were doing anymore what they wanted to do styles were changing and you know so it, it can sound kind of outdated almost if they're still doing something that was popular four years ago but it's not quite up to you know whatever came next so bandages yeah that's got some good tracks on it but it's i wouldn't call it as you know uniformly solid as um the previous ones yeah, I agree. And it yeah, I mean, punk rock was right, was right around the corner in '75, and yeah. and you had and you had you already had certain artists like yeah, like Chris Chris Spedding and like other artists like doing uh, what the guy from Vandegraaff Generator uh, had left, and he was doing kind of like weird albums. Uh, what's his name? Um, uh, I'm, just, I'm forgetting his name. The singer. He had like a solo career after he left, and there was like just it was just like. It was just like this. Was that Pete Hamill? 
Pete Hamill, Peter Hamill, that's right. Yeah. And, and so, good, good call there. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> my mind is not working today. But uh, like, but what I'm saying is there was this sort of like question mark uh, looming over a lot of a lot of these like late '60s, early '70s bands of like, where do we go next? We're on the other side of this now. Where do we go next? Uh, and we've talked a lot about this on, on Auto Reverse and other episodes. It's hard to maintain that sort of creative edge o- more, over, more, you know, to, to do that over, over and over and over again, you know, album after album. It's fucking hard. Oh, no, and, yeah. you know, and, and, and that's what happened. That's what happened to Edgar Broughton Band. They, they were super creative, super inventive. They used their imagination. They did everything. And then, like you said, Eric, their uh, success or whatever that is, quote unquote, success eluded them. And then they were like, fuck, man, what do we do? And this is this probably happened to thousands of bands back then. Thousands. Yeah. And even if you did make it, even if you became huge, like, you know, Pink Floyd, for example, hmm. they still felt empty by 1975. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That's Wish You Were Here is all about that. They're like, yeah. OK, we did achieve success. Now what are we in it for anymore? Like we we yeah. wanted to become huge and we did and now like where's our inspiration? Right. Like what are we doing? We're rich, we're not happy. Like what what are we writing music for anymore? And that can become, you know, it can be you can get through it and they did and continue to make good music or it can just kind of like totally burn you out, I guess. Um, yeah, so it's or le- lead to stagnate. It's just right. stagnates you. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of how rich or successful you become, you know, just doing it for that long, putting that much blood into your artwork is going to be hard after, you know, seven, eight years, whatever it's been. Well, let me let me ask you a question, Eric. How do you stay inspired to do your artwork? How do you stay inspired? What what do you do? Oh, wow. Um, well, yeah, turning this that on t- me. <laughs> Hey, hey, look over there, pal, donkey punch. <laughs> uh, you're breaking up. You're breaking up, Tony. I didn't guess that. <laughs> well, um, what do I do? I, well, for me, it's, you know, there isn't this drive for success. So okay. it comes from just my own being. It's what, I, mm-hmm. what I've always done. What I love to do and what I'll always do is is create art, and so for me, it's you know it was never something I started to do as a career or to you know for a living necessarily. So I have plenty of inspiration to keep going with it, and um, it's a kind of a different game, I guess, in music. You know, music is to some degree relies Collab- on people. I mean, Collabor- yeah, a- collaboration, yeah. Yeah, there's that if you're in a band and uh, if you're trying to, you know, make money off of it, there's a lot of pressure with that. I mean, not that it's not similar with art, but it's different. It's it feels to me like it's just an innate part of myself. So it's not as if I have to put it on or even try to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, Mm -hmm. well, speaking about that, you're you're, uh, Tony tells me you're going to have a book coming out that celebrates your wonderful creativity. (laughs) Yeah, uh, next year, um, next fall is scheduled to be released my first 
compilation art book after 20 plus years of material. I've been putting it off for a long time because I wanted to wait for the right moment. I wanted to have a lot of work behind me. I didn't want to do it too soon. I wanted to have better work, you know, so that you know, I could be more mature in my career before I release something. And it's definitely the time because I've already got way too much to fit into a book. <laughs> and so I've been um, all this year, all of 2021, I've been compiling and laying out the pages of it and it's almost done um i need to have it done in the next probably couple months and yeah it'll spend um going back probably i guess late mid late 90s there's not a ton of early stuff in it because you know between not wanting to really look at that stuff or show it that much. Some of it, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know we all we all grow. And, you know, I don't really yeah. want all, everything that I'm not happy with in there. And then a lot of it's like I don't even have some of that stuff anymore in high resolution form or originals. Unfortunately, been lost. So um, a lot of it picks up, you know, in the 2000s and. Mm -hmm. carries on from there but there is some early stuff too and it's it's pretty comprehensive it's not everything i could do five 200 page books on this stuff but this is mm -hmm. going to be one 200 plus page book i think and so you have a name for it another one down the road yes the name is vision of the hawk oh nice Nice. My middle name is Moonhawk, so that's right. That's right. Vision yeah. of the Hawk um, seems appropriate, and you know, puzzle. Can't, I can't wait. I can't wait to get my autographed copy. Does anyone I call you Hawk? Uh, my father does. He does. Uh, yeah, nice. yeah. If I'd had more courage as a kid to go by Moonhawk. I should have done that because it would have been a cool name to have as an adult. But as a kid growing up in rural Virginia, it was yeah. not easy to have that name because uh, you can guess why. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it's I, I'm fine with people calling me that, but yeah. only my family calls me that. Cool. Um, yeah. Well, I, you know, we both Tony and I have been looking forward to this call, and yeah. I, and I have to thank you because I knew very ne next to nothing about Edgar Barton Band, and just spending the last, I know you helped Tony with the playlist, so it's like those spending the last two three weeks listening to that playlist has been just a, just a just a just a gift, and getting to know this band, even though I still don't know why Edgar gets top billing, Steve's fucking drums are about as tight as his guitar playing and singing, but. I guess yeah. that's that's a Broughton family secret. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, apparently, they they released they, they released an album late in their career called The Broughtons. Is that because that's his son, right? His son joined, right? The, the son joined. Who's younger than us? No kidding. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. His son's like forty years old. He joined the band like later. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Um, oh, you know, Tony um, Lee Dorian said he went to see them, like. 10 years ago in London or something. Really? Yeah. That, must have been, that, uh, that kid must have played with them. I'm, I'm only Yeah, there's a yeah. video, there's a video on YouTube of them playing um, on live. Um, yeah. He didn't. It, yeah, Lisa, yeah, Lisa, they were good. Yeah, it was, it I'm was sure. It was really good. They were, and you know, the, both brothers are playing and the son on keyboards. It's pretty, pretty good. It was a really good concert. Um, cool. 
So yeah, thank you about that. And uh, yeah, if you want to hit us up, anyone about the show and you give us your comments, we'll give Eric a shout out, uh, autoreversepod at gmail.com or hit us up on the Facebook and the, uh, the Instagram, right? That's right. All right. Our- well, thanks a lot, you guys. I really appreciate talking. Yeah, it was great. Thanks, Eric. All right, man. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.